And today is the day that um, around our country and the world is called uh, the Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So I'm going to invite Jason Hamilton to come up. Let's welcome Jason up here this morning. He's going to share with us a bit. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, once again, Jason Hamilton. I'm with the uh, Global Outreach Team. Um, and really important topic that I want to talk to you about today. Um, you know, it was in 2015, early 2015, I don't know if you recall this, but there's a video that went viral. And in that video, you saw the beaches of Libya and a beautiful scene. And in that scene came 21 Coptic Christians dressed all in orange, each one accompanied by a man in black with a sword. Uh, they were led onto the beach, forced to kneel down, and were beheaded. Now, for me, that impacted me greatly when I saw that, not just because the juxtaposition of this beautiful, serene beach, peaceful beach, and the violence that I had just seen, but what moved me were these men that were resolute, that were brave, that did not cry out for their lives, but gave it willingly. And uh, it, it, it really profoundly changed me. I, um, uh, last year, uh, an author, Martin Mosbach, he's a German author, actually went back to the village where 13 of these Coptic Christians were raised and to see the impact of, of what had occurred. And what he found was a robust faith. He, he found a village that had really had gone through years of persecution, but a very strong faith. And he saw miracles happening. Uh, and he um, interviewed some of the mothers and they said that he, pretty much all of them knew that what those men knew when they were kneeling down, that when they died, they entered the gates of the kingdom of heaven and were given a crown. And um, so today, um, I don't know if you know this, but Christianity is the most persecuted religion in the world. You know, the media might not tell you that, but it's very true. So if you could put up on the screen here, these are the hot spots around the world, all right? These are what we call high persecution zones. Uh, and in these areas, Christians are persecuted daily for their beliefs, whether that be they're fired, whether that be they're ridiculed, they're beaten, whether the churches are burned or they're forced out of the churches. In these areas, 245 of our brothers and sisters in Christ live. One out of nine Christians live in this area. Every day, 11 Christians die for their faith. Um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's a very important issue. I, um, so today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So what we're doing is we're asking you to really, in your prayers today, but not just today, I would incorporate these in your daily prayers if you're one who prays daily, um, and specifically for our church plants. So if you put up the, the slide on the church plants, these are specific areas and specific needs in each of these churches. And so you can see demon in Belarus, um, the KGB, imagine the police coming in and shutting down a church right in the middle of service, and that's happened several times to him. They're having a hard time finding a place to worship. Uh, Leonardo in Rome. Now, you wouldn't think Rome would be the bastion of political or Christian persecution because it's part of the Western world, but it is. And actually, the political structure is such that the Christian church is heavily persecuted there. They're denied access or not even granted legal status. Um, so direct your prayers there. Edwin in Algeria and South Africa, uh, seven churches have been closed by the government um, over the past several years, and he's very concerned about the Christians who are isolated in their villages, who might be the only Christian there, and he's asking for boldness to go out and to minister to those folks. And then finally, uh, Ken in India, um, the Hindu religion is very exclusive. They do not allow Christians to worship freely. Uh, Ken, sh Ken shared a story 
uh, about a woman who was a widow that uh, had accepted the Lord in one of the villages. And um, she was tormented and beaten by her own son. Um, now that woman has since been praying and fasting is now allowed back in the village and is, and is uh, just a tremendous, tremendous witness. Um, so I would ask each of you to pray. Actually, in the bulletin, you're going to see um, areas that we can pray outside of these specific areas, but just kind of more generally what you should be praying for. So if you look at this list, what's interesting is what's not on this list, all right? And what's not on this list of these 10 things is an end to the persecution. We're not praying for an end to the pain. And I know that's just conf confounds you, but that's what our Lord did, right? And through his stripes, people are healed. And in the same way, through his church and the persecution that's going on, people are changing, lives are changing, communities are changing. And that is how the Lord is advancing his kingdom right now. So um, what I'd like to do is just spend a few seconds. If there's something that I said, if there's a church there that has just grabbed your heart, if there's an other area that you've, you've gravitated towards over the past several weeks in the way of persecution, you can use this as a guide. I'd like to have a few moments that we could each pray individually in silence, and then we'll come back for a prayer. Sound good? All right. So if you could each bow your head in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are holy, and we ask that your name would be hallowed throughout all of the earth, dear Lord, that your name would be sacred, and that your word would go throughout all of the earth and, and just transform communities, Lord. Lord, we know that you are in control and that you sent your son to be king of this earth, and he came down in a way that would confuse the wise. He came down to a lowly village. He was born poor, and he loved he showed mercy lord and we crowned him king but we did it in the way that the world did we gave him a robe of ridicule we put a crown of thorns on his head and we lifted him high in his coronation and crucified him on the cross and so lord he and he did not stay down we know that he defeated death itself lord and was raised again and father he sends, he asks his disciples to go out into all nations and make disciples of others. And we know that ragtag bunch that in the turn of the century, dear Lord, that they went out, they were, they were poor fishermen, sinners, tax collectors, and they transformed the world, Lord. They transformed them through their scars, most dying because of their belief. And so today, your kingdom continues to advance in a similar fashion. And Lord, you said that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, Lord. And for years, that confused me because there's no way that evil's going to defeat the, ch the church. But then I realized that the gates of hell do not stand a chance against the kingdom of God. That the kingdom is on the offense, it's advancing, and it's pulling people from the very pits of hell and saving them by your blood. And Lord, I just ask that you would be with our persecuted church right now. Give them bravery. Give them confidence, Lord. Let them advance the kingdom through their scars. And as we look at them, Father, each one in this community, this Christian community, 
that we would look at them and, and be emboldened. If they can do that, Lord, certainly we can tell our neighbors about Christ. If they can do that, we can face ridicule. Oh, Lord, just make us a brave church and to preach your word for the transforming of the world, Lord. And I would just ask uh, that we do that until your kingdom come in its finality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. And there's a very close connection between what Jason shared and what, what we're about to learn. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look at one verse, but just to set it up a little bit, after 11 chapters of 11 chapters of all gospel, he, he changes in chapter 12. And, and first he says in response to the gospel that we should give God our bodies and then we should give him our minds. So today we're focusing on the mind. <clears throat> Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Probably going to get in trouble for this, but oh well. Um, Bill Cosby, before he was discredited, is a very funny comedian, and he used to have a routine about football that I thought was really funny. He talked about football, and he talked about being the quarterback. And he said, hike, and they hiked him the ball. And when he got the ball, he looked up, and there were these big, angry men chasing him, intent on doing great bodily harm. And then he thought to himself, what do these angry men want? They wanted the ball. So you know what he did? He gave them the ball. Now hold that thought and contrast that. Yesterday I watched a lot of football and, and when a quarterback is well coached and when a quarterback has practiced and practiced and practiced, then when he receives the ball, he's able to deliver the ball in the right place. Well, what's the difference? One's coached and one's not, right? What's the difference? One has practiced and one hasn't, right? And what I have observed is I have seen too many Christians, when they're faced with opposition, drop the ball and run because they weren't coached well. They weren't prepared. They hadn't practiced. Far too many people go to college or, or far too many Christians who find themselves living out their faith in a hostile culture. They're not well prepared. They're not equipped. They see angry people and they drop the ball and run. And so I want to... Um, I want to ask you to forgive me that I've not prepared you well. Please forgive me for not coaching you well how to live out your faith in a hostile culture. I want to do a better job of equipping you. And that's why we're doing this series called Overcomers. Because when we hook our wagon to Jesus and say we want to follow him and we look up, there are three angry linemen that are coming to rip us apart. And I want you to be able to identify them, and I want you to know how to overcome them, okay? That's why we're doing this series called Overcomers. And, and the first part of the battle that we find ourselves against is the flesh, and we looked at that last week. The, the battle's being fought within us with the flesh. 
And then the second battle we're fighting is against the world, and that's happening around us. And that's what we're going to learn about today. And then next week, we're going to look at how the battle fight is fought above us, and we're going to look at the devil. Jesus taught us to pray, right? And remember how he finished his prayer? The prayer was to deliver us from evil, right? And so what he was teaching us to do is to pray, deliver us from the evil that's inside us, the flesh, and deliver us from the evil that's around us, the world, and deliver us from the evil that's above us, the evil one. So this year, we've been learning that Jesus invites us on a disciple-making adventure. And and, uh, we've learned that he wants us to be disciples, and he wants us to make disciples. And we've asked the question, well, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And so when we hook our wagon to Jesus and say, I want to follow you, we're given two commands in this verse, aren't we? The first command is what? What? Don't be conformed to this world, right? And then the second command is what? Is to be transformed how? By the renewing of our mind. And that means if we want to follow Jesus, there's something we need to avoid. We need to avoid being conformed to this world, right? And then there's something that we need to pursue. We're to pursue passionately transformation, to pursue transformation. And how do we pursue transformation? Through the what? The renewing of our mind. So look at the first, look at the first command. Uh, Don't be conformed to this world this world. Well, what is the world? What is the world? Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word f- for world there is eon. It's really saying, don't be conformed to this age, the prevailing worldview of our culture, the beliefs and the values of our culture. Could we in today's world call the world is political correctness? Right? Um, I love what the J.B. JB Phillips translation, how it says. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You ever feel that? That we're living in a culture that's squeezing us? What do you mean? Well, here's what happens. There is a pain line, and we all know where it is, right? There is a pain line that's there, and we know in our culture we can come up to the pain line, but if we step across the pain line, we will pay a price, right? And you say, like what? Okay, there's the pain line. When I say Jesus is the only way to God, I, in our culture, have crossed the pain line, right? And we'll pay a price. Um, The pain line is, uh, if I say sex belongs in marriage to be enjoyed alone between a husband and wife, I have crossed the pain line and there will be a price to pay. Isn't that true? So, listen, it's, it's a little confusing here that you have a disciple in the world, a disciple in the world, so how do they fit together? Um, I mean, the Bible says what? It says to go into all the, okay, so the Bible says what? To go into the world, right? To go into the world and share the gospel, the Bible tells us to do that, right? But, but here it says what? Don't be conformed to the world. 
So the Bible seems to say, go into the world and come out of the world at the same time. So uh, how do we do that? Um, I always tell you there's two dangers, right? There's always two cliffs to avoid. So one cliff of a disciple in the world that we need to avoid, and that's to conform to the world, to be in the world and also of the world. Isn't that what this verse says? Don't be conformed to this world. In the world and of the world, that, that if we adopt the values of our culture, we can't carry out our mission. If we get caught up in the materialism and the busyness and the immorality of our culture, we can't accomplish our purpose. So one cliff is to conform, and the opposite is to withdraw. There are Christians who simply come out of the world, they look at the world and say it's evil, and so they withdraw. They go to church with Christians, they go to school with Christians, they play golf with Christians. They simply withdraw from the world, and we cannot accomplish our mission if we pull out of the world. So, how do we live in this world without falling off the cliff of conforming or, or, um, or withdrawing? And it says right here, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way we walk between the cliffs is we renew our mind because the Bible, above all else, is a story about who? Jesus. And Jesus was the one who walked between the cliffs of conforming and withdrawing. And Jesus was in the world, wasn't he? But he was not of the world. And yet he was also for the world, wasn't he? So, so what do you mean? Well, Jesus was in the world. He didn't save us from heaven, did he? He what? He, he came. Isn't it great to have a Savior who actually knows what it's like to be on earth because he lived here in the world. He was in the world, but he was not of the world, was he? He was like us in every way but one he never sin. He was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. So Jesus was in the world without being of the world, but he was also for the world, wasn't he? He loved people. Isn't that why he came? And he went to weddings and he ate with people and he lived an abundant life. So <clears throat> Jesus says to us, follow me, follow me and I'll show you. I'll show you how to be in the world without being of the world, and yet for the world. Now, as I've been studying the life of Christ, uh, there are some things in Jesus' life that helped him be in and not of and for that could help us. In John 17, Jesus is praying for us. I'm going to work through these verses backwards, so we'll start with verse 18. Um, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus had a great sense of purpose. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. And that helped him be in the world without being of the world and yet for the world. And the more we understand our purpose too, that will help us. Notice Jesus says our purpose is tied into his. As you, did send, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. The more we understand our purpose that we're here to make disciples, the more we'll be able to be in but not of and for. 
The second thing that really strikes me about Jesus is that Jesus loved the Word of God and that Jesus believed the Bible was the Word of God and that Jesus renewed his mind with the Word of God. If you study the life of Christ, he says over and over again, what, it is written, it is written, it must be fulfilled. His life was guided by the Word of God. That's what enabled him to be in the world without being of the world and yet for the world. Do you love the Word? Do you know the Word? Do you? You see, it's important for us like Jesus to to love God's Word. Thirdly, what strikes me about looking at Jesus is that he walked by the Spirit, didn't he? Each step of his life was independence and surrender to the Holy Spirit, wasn't it? And the same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus lived in us, and it's, it's important to us also to walk by the Spirit, right? So there was purpose, there was God's Word, there was the Holy Spirit, and lastly, there was a team. There was a team. Jesus didn't do it alone, did he? Um, you ever notice when you read about Jesus, he's got people with him on the mission? He's not trying to do it alone. And I think we so often think that Jesus was helping his disciples, and he was, wasn't he? But do you ever realize how much they helped him? Do you? That he wasn't alone when he was in the world, but not of the world and for the world. And that's why it's so important for us to have a church and have a small group so that we're not doing it alone. So Jesus came to earth and he showed us how, how through a sense of purpose and through his word and spirit and through being a part of a team, how to live in the world without being of the world and yet before the world. And then, did you know he's praying for us? Even today, he's praying for us that we would be in the world so we can accomplish our purpose, but we'd not be of the world and yet we'd be for the world. Um, this is his prayer. Look at verse 14. I have given them your what? So he's given us the Bible, the Word of God. I have given them your Word, and the world has... Have you ever experienced that? You ever said, what's going on? Jesus wants us to know what to expect. I have given them your Word, and the world has hated them. Why? Because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. One of the things that struck me this year as we've been reading through the Gospels together is how much the world hated Jesus. They nailed him to a cross, and if the world hated Jesus, he's saying we shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us, and the reason the world hates us is we're not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We need to be in the world to accomplish our mission, but he prays for us that we wouldn't be led astray by the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, here's what he's praying for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, the way our lives are transformed or sanctified is through the Word of God. So he's praying for us that we would get into his Word and let his Word change us from the inside out. And then he prays for our purpose. As you also sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And so he prays for us that we would go out into the world and carry out our mission to be in the world and not of the world and for the world. 
So what we've been learning is um, to overcome the world, it's really, really important uh, that we're transformed, that we're transformed, and the way we're transformed is through the renewing of our mind, the renewing of our mind. And so what I want you to do this week is I want you to pursue being transformed, and the way I want you to do it is through renewing your mind. Got it? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what the will of God, so that you might begin to follow Jesus and experience him in your life and discover that God's will for you is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, well, Smiley, if, if, we, if we're to renew our minds, how do we renew our mind? The first step in renewing our mind is to ask Jesus to give us a new mind. To ask Jesus to give us a new mind. Know why we need a new mind? Let me show you. Let me show you why we need a new mind. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 21, we read, And although you were formerly alienated and, help me with the next three words, right? You were and hostile in mind. <laughs> you know what that is? Theologians call that total depravity. And you know what that means? It doesn't mean you're as bad as you could be. Thank goodness. What total depravity does mean is our entire beings have been affected by sin. That means our minds are hostile toward God. It means our emotions have been affected. We don't want to pursue Jesus. It means our wills have been affected too. We're not able to. Our bodies, our entire beings have been corrupted by sin. We all have a problem called sin, and it's affected our mind. We're hostile in mind. And some of you say, well, I'm not hostile. <laughs> well, honor your father and mother. Well, I would if God gave me better parents. <laughs> Pay your taxes. Well, I would if our government didn't waste so much money. See a little hostility there? Forgive others. Well, do you know what they did to me? <laughs> Isn't that our first reaction? It's because our minds are hostile toward God. They've been corrupted by sin. Don't tell me what to do. And because our minds are hostile, it says we're alienated from God. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. God will do life our way, and so we sin over and over and over against God because we're hostile in mind. And we're in big trouble because the God we've sinned against is perfect and just, and he must punish our sin. And he says what we deserve for what we have done is hell itself. There's the bad news. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, now the good news Yet he has now reconciled you in his flesh. There it is. You see, God the Son put on flesh and came to earth. He was in the world, but not of the world and for the world, living a perfect life for us. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Why did he die? In order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. He took our sins upon himself. He died in our place, paying in full the penalty for our sins, and then rising, rising and offering us eternal life. 
He says if we would believe in him, he would forgive us of all of our sins. He would clothe us in his righteousness so that we would be holy and blameless before him. He said he would give us a new mind and new emotions and a new will. We would become new people. Isn't that what he promised? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Have you ever asked Jesus for a new mind? If you haven't, won't you? Asking Jesus for a new mind really is as simple as is ABC where we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I've been hostile in my mind. I've been engaged in evil deeds. I am alienated from you. It's to believe, Jesus, I believe that you lived and died and rose for me. It's to commit to him as Savior. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and, and make me a new person and forgive me and, and, and give me eternal life. And I want you to be Lord of my life. Today I surrender. And from this day forward, as you give me strength, I will follow you. If you haven't done that, won't you? And if you have, I want you to hear what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, that old mind that was hostile to God, the old emotions, the old will, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So you've been given a new mind, and you've been given a the Holy Spirit, and you've been given the Word. So after we ask Jesus for a new mind, the way we renew our mind is re we renew our mind through His Word and Spirit. We renew our minds through His Word and Spirit. We saturate our minds with the Word of God. Want to overcome the world? Renew your mind. Want to be able to live in the world without being of the world and yet for the world? Renew your mind. Are there sins in your life you'd like to overcome? Want to be transformed? You're transformed through the renewing of your mind. Are you saturating your mind with the Word of God? Listen, why not pick up the study? And, and why not four days a week? Meet with Jesus and, and read a chapter of his word. Why? It's through the renewing of the mind that our lives are transformed. Listen, read his word, pray his word, and then share his word. Uh, do the small group cue before you go. If you're not involved in a small group, do you, do you want to be transformed? Do you? It happens through what? The renewing of your mind. Listen, something special happens when 10 people gather together and they open up the Word of God together and they speak with one another. How are we transformed? Through the renewing of our minds. Oh, do you get excited about Sunday? You know why we gather together? Because our lives are transformed how? Through the renewing of our minds. Do you pray on the way to church? Holy Spirit, change my life as I hear God's word. Renew my mind so that my life is transformed. Wouldn't that be great if we gathered together because we wanted to be transformed and said, speak to us the word of God. Equip us. Equip us to live out our faith in a hostile culture. Help us. Um. And that's what I want to do. I really want to. I want to 
I want to help you see you really can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and, and we can help you. We can help you. Matter of fact, this week, um, I ask many of you, where do you most feel the pressure of this world? I was asking people, where do you most feel the squeeze? And, and these were the top two. Number one that people shared with me, it's the exclusivity of Christ. It's the idea that there's one way to God. Um, Jesus said in John 14, uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. How can there be just one way? Now, what's really important, we learn to follow Jesus, we need to do two things, right? Don't be conformed to this world, so, so don't buy into the thinking of our time, but instead be transformed through the renewing of our mind. So we need to fill our mind with God's word, and then we need to practice. If you don't practice to be ready when you're asked that question, you won't be prepared. The reason the quarterback doesn't panic when the ball is hiked is he's practiced over and over and over again for that moment. I want you to know I practice for that moment all the time because I know it's coming and I've experienced it and you will too. So when I get asked, smiley, how can there be just one way? The way I want to respond is by asking a question back. And you say, why? Because if you study the life of Jesus, you'll see over and over again, he answered a question with a question. Why do I do that? Not only did Jesus do it, but it... it it helps another person think. So often people think that they have it so together, but when you ask them questions, they have to think. And then it also helps us understand how well established they are in their position. And again, most people will melt in front of you if you just ask them a question. So what do I ask people? The first question, if someone asks me, how can there be just one way? I would ask them back, well, how many ways do you think there are to God? You don't like my answer? What's your answer? Just listen to them. And then the second question is to ask them, well, has that always been your thinking? Have you always thought that way? And then thirdly, what changed your mind? What is it that changed your mind? And, and then here's the best one. How do you know you're right? How do you know you're right? And then, and then if they ask me again, well, smiling, how can there be just one way? Oh, listen, the power is in the Word. The power is in the Word, not in us. What we want to do is invite people to come and see Jesus. Recently, I was sharing the gospel with a lady, and she said, Well, Smiley, how can there be just one way? This is why you need to practice. I actually know where in the Bible John 14, 6 is. Do you? So I opened my Bible, and I said, I want you to read what Jesus said. And so I had her read, and she read, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I said, how many ways did Jesus say? And she said, just one. And I said, listen, I'm a Christian. I'm a disciple. I follow Jesus, and I believe what Jesus said. And as someone said, well, Smiley, how do you know you're right? My default is always listen to the one who was dead and now alive. Isn't that, doesn't that seem like a good idea? 
doesn't it seem like a good idea to follow the one who is dead and is now alive? That's how I know. But listen, it's so important. We fill our mind with God's word. We practice for that moment so we're ready. Now, the second, the second thing that people shared with me uh, that they really feel the pressure of our culture is where it comes to sex and marriage. Would anybody else agree with that? Uh, so what do we do? Well, we're given two instructions, right? First, don't be conformed to the thinking of our time. Our thinking should be different, right? And then the second part is we fill our mind with the Word of God. And here's why that's so important. A lot of this is, we, we were reading in Daniel. And, and I didn't know I was going to get this in Daniel. But I'm reading in Daniel, and in chapter 3, there's three Jewish young men who used to be in Jerusalem, and now they're in Babylon. Any of you feel like that too? And... And the king sets up a statue, an idol, 90 feet high and says, bow down or die. And what struck me is a few days before, there was no statue. And then there was a statue, and you had to bow down or die. And I said, that's our culture, isn't it? That's what happened in our country. And you say, how? Listen, an idol has been raised up that's an LGBTQ idol, and it's been raised up. It wasn't there 10 years ago, was it? And today, what we're told is bow down or you will pay a price, right? So I'm reading the story. What did they do? What did they do? You know what they did? They had renewed their mind with the Word of God, and so they knew what to do. They knew God had said, you shall not make an idol and you shall not bow down. I believe they had also practiced. <laughs> I believe they had practiced over and over again for that moment, so they were ready. How about you? Have you opened up the word of God and said, God, teach me what you have to say about this, have you? And then have you practiced and practiced and practiced? So when you get asked and those linemen are charging you, you don't drop the ball, but you're ready. Again, the best way to respond that, that I prepare myself, and they're really the same questions as before. Notice these questions. They're so helpful. Um, if someone asks me, Smiley, what do you think about same-sex marriage? Just ask them back, well, what do you think about same-sex marriage? Just ask. The next question is really good. Has that always been your thinking? Do you think it's always been their thinking? Do you? Not for most people, right? And then the question, well, what changed your thinking? And then lastly, I just want to ask them, how do you know you're right? Okay, okay, Smiley, you've done that. Then, then they come back and say, well, Smiley, what do you think? And again, the power is in the Word. All I want to do is invite someone to come and see Jesus and His Word. This is worth writing down. Matthew 19, verse 3. Listen, sex and marriage are not like some new hot spot. They've always been. And, and notice, if we just invite someone to come and read a few verses with us, 
here's what they'll see. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him. See that? They were what? Aren't there people that are what? Testing us? Uh, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking it, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any reason at all? They were trying to trap in his, in his answer. They wanted to talk downstream uh, about divorce. Jesus, he asked a question back, but he, he says, I want to talk about this way upstream. So he, he goes back and says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? If we're going to talk about sex and marriage, we need to go back and where did everything come from, right? So he goes, remember we just did a series? He goes back to the beginning. Why does creation matter? Here's why. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Listen, I'm a Christian. I believe God created us. And God created us male and female. And God created us male and female for a glorious purpose. And God, God instituted marriage and said the two, the man and the woman, shall come together and become one flesh. I love to ask people this. What do you think is the purpose of sex? <laughs> the Bible says the first purpose of sex is for children. And that's why you need a male and a female in marriage. Because it takes a male and female to have a child. And don't you think it would be good for children to grow up with their mom and dad? Wouldn't that be good? You guys there, wouldn't that be good? So God says what? First you get married, and then you have sex, and then children grow up with their mom and dad, and sex and marriage binds the husband and wife together for life, so children grow up with their mom and dad, and it brings them pleasure. Isn't that a beautiful thing? See, people want to talk about something, and we need to show them the Bible has a glorious theology about marriage and sex that people in our culture have no idea about. And that's why we need to know it. And then we can share it, right? Uh, now, you know what I did today? Um, I crossed the pain line. And I want you to know, whenever we cross the pain line, we should always expect two things, hunger and hostility. And I want you to know they're both in this room. There are many, many in this room who say, Smiley, thank you. Thank you for crossing the pain line today. Thank you for equipping us. Thank you. But I know, too, in this room, there is also hostility. There are people who say, I can't believe you are so, uh, so behind the times. That's what happens when we cross the pain line. Hunger and hostility. We should expect hunger and not be surprised when there's hostility. So my question to you is, do you want to overcome the world? 
listen, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to make disciples? Listen, then don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that you might know in your own experience that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad you came because we were hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds. And we were in big trouble, but you lived and died and rose so that we could have new minds and become new people. Thank you. And listen, if you'd like to trade your hostile mind in for a new mind, I mean, Jesus is here. Won't you admit to him? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry? And won't you believe, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit, Jesus, come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life and give me a new mind. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Uh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you tell someone or mark it on your card? Oh, Lord, I pray for all of us who've done that, that we would realize that we've been given a new mind. We've been given your word and your spirit. And, Lord, I pray this week that we would pursue transformation through the renewing of our minds. Lord, give us a hunger and thirst for your word so that we could be transformed by the renewing of our minds. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.